Welcome to Season 2 of Positivity Strategist. This season is called Appreciative Voice and Choice, in which we talk about seven literacies for living and leading in this century. I'm Robin Stratton Burkessel. And I'm Sally Lee. We're co-hosts of Season 2. This season is called Appreciative Voice and Choice, Literacies for Living and Leading in This Century. And for 10 shows, that's what we'll be talking about. Well, hello there, Sally. And hello to everybody who's listening. A great big welcome back to you all and to our conversation, to be part of our conversation. That's on the Literacies for Appreciative Voice and Choice. Hi, Robin. Good to hear your voice again. And welcome to the future. Today, that's our topic today. Well, our topic is officially the literacy of finding the future or future finding. It's the visioning voice that helps us explore paths opening before us and to move toward them. This literacy is about the power of our shared futures. And this is the seventh and the final literacy And it brings together so much, Sally, that you and I have been talking about in this season too. It serves to help us shape the future through the images we hold and the conversations we participate in. This literacy really hones in our interconnections and our interdependencies because all futures are shared futures. I completely agree. And future spotting and future making are big news and big business these days. The Institute for the Future, so it's appropriate we're talking about the Institute of the Future, for the future right now, their distinguished fellow Bob Johansson sees forecasting the future as one of the five leadership literacies for this century. He talks about it in his book, The New Leadership Literacies, Thriving in a Future of Extreme Disruption and Distributed Everything. Yeah, that's a great description of our times and it rings true. With growing populations, our communications are even getting more digitally focused. And we're dealing with and we're preparing for the influx of more artificial intelligence and robots in our daily lives. Imagine that. Yeah. There's so much to consider about what's happening now and is really moving us into the future, like the future's now. It fascinates me and sometimes scares me too which seems to be part of the dance of planning for new futures, Robin. I um, I don't know if you feel that way. You know, we want to be able to see over the horizon and we're a little afraid of it at the same time. Uh, back in the 1970s, the great anthropologist Margaret Mead said at a conference on the future, she said, what we need to invent are ways in which farsightedness can become a habit of the citizenry of the diverse peoples of this planet. So a habit of farsightedness, perhaps the only way humanity can step up and look over the edge at what might be beyond is to do it together. Yeah, yeah. And um, I can give a quote from Walt Disney. He said that times and conditions change so rapidly that we must keep our aim constantly focused on the future. So we know that there's a lot of future finding going on. And whole industries are devoted to personal and organisational future finding. You and I, Sally, have done that um, that kind of work. We've done our share of work, haven't we? We really have. (laughs) Helping find futures for individuals and organisations. 
So future finding is already an acknowledgement set or an acknowledged set of, of needed expertise. People get hired to help individuals create new personal visions. There are visioning retreats and mastermind groups. And at the organisational levels, there are attempts to work with the enormous rate of change by visioning and crafting new strategies. You know, we look back at trends and the implications of market disruptions, basically looking for what we should be looking at. Scenario planning, reinventing and re-engineering, you know, they're terms we've all heard and they come in and out of vogue, um, you know, over the decades that I've been working in the consulting field, yet they all point in the same direction, the need for finding a future, a shared future. And some of it's short-term planning and some of it's focused much farther into the future, further forward. And there's also... I think here, well, I know there's a cultural factor involved. You know, some cultures, organisational cultures and um, national cultures have a long-term orientation and some have a short-term orientation. And that comes from research in the findings of the Dutch social psychologist Hofstetter. He, He has spent his life researching the different cultural dimensions and that work has always captivated me. I can understand why. And that all feeds into our conversation today and I think shows why being literate in planning, co-creating and anticipating the future is so important. There's another reason too and it's a basic human one. I think that sometimes that sense of creating a new and different future sees us through hard times. You know, when times get tough or we feel we've gotten off onto a wrong path and we wonder how we might help create change for the better for ourselves, for our larger communities and the world. It helps to envision a better future, to think that we can shift what's going on. It's very powerful to dream of something new and different. That's what this powerful literacy deals with, developing that muscle to search for and voice the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... There are lots of ways of how, um, of how we can look at the future. And it takes us into thinking about how change occurs and how we feel about the nature of change, which is another industry in and of itself, change management. And, you know, Sally, that's a, a title that I've always struggled with because... Me too. <laughs> change, um, no, change is constant, we know that. And managing change, change seems like a contradiction in terms The only thing that is constant is change, said Heraclitus, 500 years BC, back in ancient Greece. The future is unknown and unknowable, yet we can learn to embrace and include change in a caring and in compassionate ways. You know, I think you're right. This is such a huge topic, the topic of of change and change management. And it's related to assumptions about who we are and whether we can actually make changes well. Are we capable as humans of shifting uh, the future? Or do we just get caught up in fear of change and get paralyzed? Um, Are we really open to the novel, the discontinuous, the the different in terms of physical and digital inventions, for example, and maybe even more importantly, in terms of the way we see the world and one another, our moral and spiritual compasses? Are we willing to look at those changes? Hmm. Our assumption is our work with literacy so far has been that we humans are capable of learning what we need to learn 
we assume that we're agile learners and we have experience of evidence of us being agile learners and that we can both author change and adapt to changes that impose themselves on us. In fact, we can do that very well indeed. Humankind, in all kinds of disciplines across the globe, has created huge advances in education, in medicine, the distribution of wealth is changing, and there's so much more, so much progress has been made. And yet, there's still more to build into designing our futures, especially when it comes to our moral fabric. You know, we've been very good at building the physical, but as I think about the future, I also think about who I want to become and who we as humans sharing this planet can and need to become. Two beautiful quotes come to mind from two Americans. Um, The first one comes from Martin Luther King Jr. And he said, this is a quote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Mm. That chills me with positive anticipation. And the other one is another hero of mine, Eleanor Roosevelt, and she wrote, or one of the books she wrote was Tomorrow is Now. It is today that we must create the world of the future. And this is, what, this is the quote. She says, One thing I believe profoundly, we make our own history. The course of history is directed by the choices we make and our choices grow out of the ideas, the beliefs, the values, the dreams of the people. And it's not so much the powerful leaders that determine our destiny as much as the much more powerful influence of the combined voices of the people themselves. So that quote, Sally, suggests that we most certainly have a range of adaptive capacity. That's big. And it also just to see those quotes, you know, it's and going back all the way back to the Greeks, we've been thinking about the future for a very long time. And so let's look at what might make finding and adapting to futures a little easier. We've been referring during this whole season to the principles of appreciative inquiry. And I think we can point to one of the foundational principles again to talk about approaching our futures. It's the anticipatory principle, five powerful words, positive image equals positive action. Stated again, it's the principle of anticipation of looking ahead. What does that mean? It means that what we think about and what images we carry around of the future create our actions and direction. And what neuroscientists have discovered is that the more positive the images, the more powerful and positive the actions. And we can all get better at that. We can dream up the future. And in fact, maybe that's part of our job as humans. Mm -hmm. Everything we do is part of the great co-creation of the future world, our own immediate world and the bigger shared world and shared life. We can envision brighter and bolder futures and move into them. So we do better if we remember that rather than picturing what we don't want and working from there, it's more effective to create an image of what we really want and have it, you know, in order to have it happen, we want to think about what we really want. The mm. more detailed, the better. Mm. That's the first main point to make about finding the future. Mm. So it makes me wonder, Robin, if you can think of a time when you had a bold vision or image of the future and lived into it. Did that idea of a powerful, positive image hold true for you? <laughs> 
Um, over and over, Sally, in fact, the anticipatory principle would be one of my favourite appreciative inquiry principles, I have to say. And it's so weird that when I started my first consulting practice, I was hunting around for what would be a good name for my business. Oh, that's, a bit, that's always a big project. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And I had always wanted to, uh, you know, to, to, to run my own show. And so I'm thinking, you know, what am I helping my clients do? Who am I helping them become? I'm, you know, asking those questions all those years ago. And I recognized that what I was helping them do, individuals and organizations, was to focus on their future. And so I called my business Future Focused. Nice. Um, because that's what I was doing. I was helping people actually find their future, you know, and here we are talking about it today. So it was really about enabling, facilitating, helping people realize their potential. That's always been the focus of my work. And I, I do practice what I preach because I um, also spent years writing visioning statements. You know, many people do that. So every morning yes. I'd get up and I would actually key it in. I'd key in my vision statements. I had seven vision statements. Um, a cu- just a couple of examples where I'm kind of finding my future and living into it by actively imagining what I want this future to be. One of which was writing a book. I could check that off. I, I realized that. Another one was to complete a triathlon. I could check that one off. And so did, you, list- did you really do a triathlon. I did. I did one of those mini ones, you know. I didn't do the full Ironman thing, but I, yeah, I did. Um, uh, that definitely <laughs> counts. I'm, I'm in awe. So, you know, I could go down my list, but I won't do that. But I, I'm, just, I'm just confirming that I've had powerful images of the future and they have held true to answer your question. What about you? Well, um, I, I do have one that I think ties in very well with what you've been saying about the image the images. When I was living in South America, I realized that it was about time for me to come back to the United States. There were many reasons for that. But I was very confused about when to go, where to go, where to live. Did I need to go back to my home state? All those sorts of questions that come in our minds. And I was just Mm -hmm. kind of muddling through. And I was in Miami visiting friends And I'd never particularly liked Miami or given it any thought. And I was walking down the street in Coconut Grove and suddenly this image or this thought appeared and I saw myself in Miami and I thought, I could live here. I could live here. And this complete kind of image fell into place. I saw, you know, the idea of getting a job there and where I'd like to live. And it was very sudden. It was one of those whole cloth images that that appeared And, you know, within two months, I was living in Miami and I was living exactly where I thought I would like to live, which was on the bay Hmm. down in downtown Miami. And I was there for 10 years. Wow. So um, it was really a a surprising. uh, I was surprised by the image when it appeared, but it's definitely proof that a powerful, positive image can move us. Mm. Um, and and can synchronize with our with our desires. Um, it it also shows it shows the power of images that create stories that pull us forward. So you know, given your experience and mine, we might say if you want to change your life, change the story you're telling yourself and look for or look to create and also maybe notice powerful positive images. Yeah, beautiful. 
Yes, and it would be wonderful to hear from um, any of um, some of our listeners, you know, where this has worked for you too. Great idea. You've had um, images of a positive future or images of a future and you've changed your life by changing the story that you tell yourself. I love that expression. And to get theoretical again, there are several um, ways of looking at how we know who we are. For example, Sigmund Freud suggested that the, it was the historical reality. He was saying through his research and his psychology that we are determined by our past. Then there's Carl Lewin and B.F. Skinner who both suggested that it's the current reality who, that helps us know who we are. So we're determined by our environment. And evidence suggests that we're also determined by our anticipatory reality. We are determined by who we imagine we can be. You can see this in the stories that we tell. This way of thinking is based on research that says that our behaviour emerges from those three vantage points on reality, the past, the present and our images of the future. And it looks like our anticipatory reality just might be the most powerful. Imagine that. I love that idea. I love that one too. I'm voting for that one. So when our image of the future is positive and based in our values, we are more likely to take positive action. This process towards images of the most life-giving forces we know through continuing dialogue can assure that the future will be built on those positive themes and images. And there's a term for this. In nature, it's called heliotropism, turning toward the sun, like plants do, turning to what gives us light and warmth. Mm. So in finding the future, we want to turn toward the sun and look for the most powerful, positive images we can conjure of where we want to end up. It's especially important when what's ahead of us can feel precarious. We might get caught up in that negativity and feel paralyzed. So we want to remember, turn toward the sun. Mm-hmm. And to get new results in some ways, we have to dance between honoring all that's gone before and disarming that field of reality and certainty so that new energy can flow in. The more the ongoing normal and the new or novel can be explored together, the greater the opportunities for moving to the next level of understanding and action. And that's where posing great questions has such a powerful role. It helps us clarify what we want and find those positive images. Mm, I agree. And there's a great term for this process too, and it's called dislodging certainty. We have to turn some of our stories and narratives on their heads. We have to ask questions about our frames and beliefs and even our values. Sometimes that can be uncomfortable, even fear-inducing. Thus, the practically endless work on helping people cope with change. Um, I love a book on the times we're living in now called The Age of the Unthinkable by Joshua Cooper Ramo. He wrote it in 2009, so it's been about a decade. He says, deep change requires a psychological shift from being certain about our future to being uncertain, a transformation that's as stressful as it is productive. Mm. I think it's very powerful what he says. Some of that shaking up of our current reality, where we might have blinders on about something, can be done with pulling ourselves out of the day-to-day and looking at scenarios of the future, not just of what you, your organization, or clients want, but what you and they will have to grapple with 
or what will impact us that may have nothing to do with our own mission or purpose. We have to ask ourselves questions that don't usually get asked at planning sessions about what's barreling down the highway at us like a big 18-wheeler. We have to take that into consideration as well. Yeah. And, you know, um, and, and I think that's why the appreciative inquiry planning process that we both work with is so effective. It's one way to approach co-creating a shared future and we use the 4D model. And the 4D stand for, as uh, most of our audience would know, discovery, dream, design and destiny. And it's during this first step of discovery that invites us to first look at the strengths and the positive stories of our past and present. And Mm. then the second step, we dream together. We dream together by asking one another questions about what we see on the horizon and what we want to happen. And we can ask one another such questions as, um, and I've got three questions here, like um, what trends or changes are positively impacting our fields of endeavour or are impacting my life or our organisation? A second question could be, what opportunities do we see coming toward us? Mm. And a third What is coming at us that we can use? You know, what will be the wind in our sails? You know, that can help us see what we might call uh, weak signals, uh, new heartbeats, ideas and possibilities that we might not have seen before. And they may not be strong yet. That's why they're called weak signals. One of my favorite novelists is William Gibson, who writes about futures that are just barely over the edge of the horizon, very close at hand. Some of our listeners may be familiar with him. Um, Two of his best known books are Neuromancer, which became a film years ago. And then he wrote a trilogy that started with pattern recognition. So great books. He said once in an interview that, quote, the future exists today. It's just unevenly distributed. (laughs) And that has stuck with me. Um, Sometimes the answers to our questions are already nearby. Sometimes innovations have already been invented. And if we compare notes, we might just discover them. New shoots emerging out of the ground of the future. Ideas that give us hope and courage or that tell us we need to move really fast to get ahead of some obstacle that's revealing itself. You have a story around this. So um, would you tell it to us now? Sure, sure. It's uh, I was working with a manufacturing company a few years ago, and they had closed their plant for the day for a company retreat, a quick summit. And, uh, you know, they did that every couple of years. They would close the plant for a day. And everyone was there, everyone. And someone in the group started talking about the trends in the industry towards zero waste, you know, disposing their waste more uh, effectively. It resonated through the room for others as well, and it kind of spread everywhere. It bothered them that the company wasn't moving forward on that. And three things happened that day with everybody in the room as we looked at the future. First, the senior management team revealed that they were already working on a proposal to gradually bring down their level of waste, but the the idea hadn't been made public before. Second, one of the middle managers stood up and said that he had run the waste disposal project at his former job and that he was up to date on what was possible. No one had known that. And then third, someone asked how fast it could happen. And the whole company aligned right in front of me, right there in the room. Within a year, they had achieved zero waste, something that was projected to take five years. 
I just love that story. There's so much you can take out of that story mm. uh, and I think it touches just about all the literacies we've been talking about. We could <laughs> dissect that story. It's so great. Um, it actually reminds me of when I used to work predominantly with the methodology and in Australia we called it search conferencing but here in the States Marvin Weisberg and um, Sandra Yanis changed it to future search. But, mm, um, yes. but in that process, you know, the organisation looked at trends um, firstly from the global perspective and then we would look at all the trends from the industry perspective that we were in and then we took the organisational view and sometimes we went down lower and into the personal view. You know, we were kind of peeling back the onion. Mm. And from all that data that we had collected from out there, the global view right down to me and how it's impacting me, we extrapolated the futures that we could see. Um, and there were obviously futures that didn't look so rosy and that's the language we use. They were not rosy futures. But then there were futures that were rosy. And we'd plan accordingly. We'd design a way forward that embraced the different trends and go deeper into the fresh possibilities of the future. And we use that from the frames, using frames and inquiries such as, what do we want more of? What's the world calling us to be or to do? And what wishes do we have for heightening the health and the vitality of whatever, whatever we need to achieve for our future together? So we might be considering futures for ourselves with those questions, um, for a church that needs more space or perhaps is losing members, or, for example, for a city that has conflicting um, pushes to develop more and raise the tax base and create more jobs, and also to safeguard its small town feel and magnificent natural surroundings. That's the case with the town I live in. These questions you mentioned earlier help us connect our thinking and our desires, our wishes for whatever part of the future we're working on. They can free us up to explore more possibilities and help us be a little more flexible and open in our thinking. We might even get some brand new ideas. Yeah, it works to make new, powerful, positive images of the future to replace what we're letting go of. It's so important to be able to see that new image and take it in so that we can then voice it. We need an engine with enough force, life force, we might even say, to drive the co-creation of a positive future. And here's another type of question that I think really um, gets to the life force. It's a question we might use, it's the so-called miracle question. You can use this when you've already spent some time exploring wishes and callings around a particular topic. You need some basis to start this. Um, so here's an example of a miracle question. It's 2020 and everything is as you've always hoped it would be. Describe what it looks like and what's happening. What's going on? What do your days look like? What's an ideal day for you? What's rejuvenating you? Now with the team you're either on your own or with a team you're working with, prepare a creative expression of your image of the future. It can be a picture, a chart, a map, a poem, something like that, but something visual. Mm -hmm. So we go from conversations and ideas to images that are a form of collective art. Mm -hmm. And then later, we clearly state that we can turn those images into words much more easily. It's a great process because it gets at what the future actually looks like and it makes it very specific. It's about images, not words, mm -hmm. 
but then moving into stating it so that we can all carry it with us. Sally, I'm inspired to go and do this after we finish this recording. I just feel like (laughs) I need to draw a picture of my positive future. Thank you. Well, now that you mention it, you know, maybe I'll join you in that. I don't mean that we'll do the same image. I mean, that we'll work on the same images, but I, I might also do that. I love that miracle question. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. Yeah, it is. It's a great one. Some wonderfully clear ideas of the desired future can emerge from doing this exercise. And we often don't realize that we're not clear about something, um, you know, or as clear as we thought we were. And, you know, until we start thinking really deeply and want to draw a picture and then we realize that, um, you know, maybe it wasn't so clear. And, you know, this is this exists in really big issues and big questions in our lives. For instance, we say things like we want to see justice in the world. Well, what does that look like? Mm. We want to see an end to hunger. Well, what will it look like when Mm. hunger has ended? We want to see greater sustainability. What does that look like? Mm. A brighter future for our children. You know, we get a sense of that direction and we're then able to turn toward that warm sun. But getting specific takes some focusing of inquiry, framing, and dialogue so that we're ready to co-create an image. So what does it look like? And uh, I think we've got some examples, uh, some other examples to to, um, share with you. Yeah, and, you know, I love those those big, big social issues that you – you drew our attention to and imagining what those possible futures could be. And, you know, Sally, it happens at the very mundane level too. <laughs> um, you know, when you go house hunting, you know. Um, right. We're so focused on saying what we don't want often and um, it's hard forget to get people to articulate what it is they do want. Um, you know, people can say, no, don't want that, don't like that, that kind of thing. Um, and another even simpler thing, like with your family, when you're going out for dinner, I think in that case, most people do say, well, what do you want for dinner? Or, you know, what do you, what do you feel like eating? Right. Um, and we kind of talk more in the affirmative there than what we don't want. So they're just very silly examples. But just to show that we're always projecting forward, you know, we're running that movie in our head of what we want in the future. You know, I have a, a sort of mid-level example. Back in South America, there was lots of poverty in small villages uh, back when I lived there. And someone who became a mentor to me said that he had found uh, through an organization he was working for that rather than going into the villages and gathering people together to ask what the worst problems were, they instead asked what the people most wanted for their children. And gradually the stories and dreams created new images and new plans that could be implemented. Mm -hmm. So they turned them toward what the images of what their children's lives could be like if they were able to better certain aspects of their village life. So since we move in the direction of the images we hold, the more detailed, bold, descriptive, and inclusive the dream image, the more likely an individual or organization is to move toward it. If we can't see it, we can't get there. Mm -hmm. So a dream or vision statement should always be, just as this is just a little extra information, in the present tense, Mm-hmm. as if it's already occurring, and to use affirmative language of the future you want to create. Yes, Sally, and that's what I did with my seven vision statements that I referred uh-uh. to earlier. Um, exactly right. You know, all these literacies, or all seven of them that we've talked about in this season, come together in this seventh one. So there's six earlier ones, and now this is the seventh, finding the future. 
And perhaps our greatest shared human endeavour is mapping out possible futures. We do it all the time together, whether it's around the dinner table or in a conversation centre. So why don't we do a little recap about how all the literacies help us find the future, Sally? So first, there's inviting inquiry. Powerful questions open the path to the future. What future will we find? That will depend on the questions we ask. So what's the most generative question you can ask to attract a future that you want to live? And I'm reminded of a very personal story, Sally, that when I visited my oncologist a number of years ago with a stage four cancer and a prediction of maybe a year, I was very loath to undertake the medications and the really invasive procedures that I was recommended. And so I asked him in a rather, um, I guess, non-appreciative way, (laughs) (laughs) if I take all these medications and follow these procedures, what will my life be like in five years? Mm. And he knew a little bit about what gave great joy to me and what I did and he gave me the most beautiful response and gave me such a positive image of my future with things like, well, I'll expect you'll be still running on the beach and I expect you'll be doing the work that you love to do and I expect you'll be enjoying nature. And he just blew me away and I just said, wow, that's a future I can work towards. And so I surrendered, I committed. I just went with it. It all came with the question that I asked and the response I got. Yeah, what a gorgeous story. Thank you for sharing that. So that and so the the questions are all important. They they turn us. They turn us in new directions. They turn us toward the sun. So then we also, you know, the second literacy that that has an impact here is reframing reality, looking to reframe where we are and where we're headed, looking at patterns and habits that may be worn out, stretching our views, standing in new shoes. A powerful image can serve as that new frame, expanding and including. So how are we framing this future? That's a good question to ask. Yes. And the third literacy we addressed was kindling kindness. So as we do this work of finding the future, keeping foremost in mind is, can I contribute to a flourishing future for all? How am I integrating kindness and compassion for others into my own visions? And what am I doing to save and preserve our planet for future generations? And then there's the the literacy of powering the positive, looking for the positive possible, as we've just been talking about throughout this uh, particular um, episode. Uh, We want to flip and frame positively, inviting our most positive emotions and even our superpowers, our hopes, and counting on what inspires us to inform our futures. So a question we might ask about that literacy when looking at the future is, what's the most positive future we can imagine? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we had welcoming wholeness. Um, Dreaming in, in the key of wholeness, in full voice, inviting and including the whole as belonging, as it exists in the scenario we've been co-creating. You know, we ask questions such as what stakeholders and what parts of our ecosystem will be impacted by the future that we're heading toward and remembering those who are not present but who are impacted. So right. So we can see at this point how important 
our sixth literacy is connecting the collective to know how to create space for dialogue, connection, and the emergence of collective intelligence. Our interconnectedness is powered through interactions. So let's have them be powerful. How will we create shared futures if we can't find safe and inspiring ways to talk to each other? So what future can we imagine together and align on? Yeah, I love all those. And they all come together so that we can find the future. We need all the literacies to invoke a positive, sustainable future and to voice it. They are worth practicing so they become our default ways of thinking and acting as we inevitably co-create the future we know that we're capable of. You know, this is uh, comes up as a last thought uh, for the moment. Um, you know, it's, it reminds me of appreciative intelligence, that these come together in, a, in an appreciative intelligence. Pulling them all together on behalf of a shared future reminds me of Tojo Thatchenkerry and Carol Metzger's wonderful book, Appreciative Intelligence, yeah. Seeing the Mighty Oak in the Acorn. They define appreciative intelligence as the ability to perceive the generative potential in a given situation and to act on it. Yeah. Yes, I, I recognize that connection you're making, that the literacies move us toward an appreciative intelligence. People with appreciative intelligence see how the future unfolds from the present and they're able to reframe a given situation to recognize the positive possibilities embedded in it but maybe not apparent to the untrained eye and they're capable to act now so that the future can unfold and they can voice it. Appreciative voice. We've come full circle. So even every day can be a new beginning. So here we are. Please check out the show notes page of this episode at appreciativevoice.com. And you can place yourself on the continuum of mastery that we've been talking about, considering your level of literacy in finding the future, our seventh and most visionary literacy. Mm -hmm. You can also read a detailed summary of our conversation there, and you'll find a link to download our Guide to the Seven Literacies, a booklet that defines, describes, and gives us a glimpse of dailifying each literacy. Robin, what will we be doing next time? Well, um, next time, Sally, it's going to be very exciting because we're going to circle back with more stories on how people are living and leading with the literacies. Ooh. <laughs> we're off to do a little field work, Sally, and we're excited to review the literacies and reflect on what we're learning with the intention of showing how these literacies make us more fluent in appreciative voice and choice. It sounds great. And remember, all of us, it's your choice to find and express your appreciative voice. Looking forward to our next conversation. And me too. And looking forward to seeing you very soon, Sally, so we can do our research together. Yes, yes. <laughs> Stay tuned, everybody. Yes.